Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. G'day and welcome to the Pod Pod. It's Holmesy here, back for another edition of the Holmes Files. Uh, in this series, we are interviewing, or I'm interviewing, some of the the brighter minds in the fantasy community and and deep diving on strategy and, and providing something a little bit different. And today, I've got another special guest on. I was hoping to get him on a little bit earlier um, to get his insights pretty fresh, but uh, unfortunately, he has been on you know about six podcasts in the last two weeks. Um, so you've probably heard him floating around on the coaches panel or on Hatchat recently, but I've got uh, Vams, known as Fantasy Nut from Twitter. Vams, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Big fan of Pod Pod. Big fan of this uh, series that you do. So, yeah, really happy to have a chat with you. Yeah, the the reason I wanted to get you on is you haven't been afraid on Twitter or X, at least, to to prevent to sorry to propose opinions that are slightly different to, to the norm and, and that's fantastic because we do kind of get stuck in this group think a lot of the time and, and we don't really look at potentially some other options that we might or, or think about these players differently. So I'm, I'm definitely keen to, to deep dive with you. I thought what we would do is, is basically go line by line but, but before we do that, why don't you just let us know, you know where you've been focusing this preseason and, and maybe I know you had your learnings podcast with the coaches panel uh, a couple of weeks ago now, which was a really good listen. But what have, what are you trying to apply to this preseason that you sort of uh, have taken from all of your learnings last season? Yeah, I think uh, the, the way I'm sort of applying those learnings, I won't go over them sort of now. People can listen to that podcast itself. But I, I guess what I, the way I'm really approaching things is by putting together a you know a document, a spreadsheet, whatever you want to call it, and on there have all the players that I've kind of shortlisted as, as good options in each line at, across all the different sort of price points. And in there will be a certain name, what they're currently priced at, and then I try to be relatively specific in terms of what I think they can average, both to the upside and the downside. Um, and then, you know, essentially I then like to put together a whole series of mock teams um, with a whole bunch of different combinations of players. And I've probably got on this spreadsheet you know, hundreds of different mock teams, really. Um, no joke. And like, you know, slowly they'll get deleted, et cetera, and then you'll have your favorites, et cetera. But I really like to focus on trying to come up with what I think is the optimal sort of combination of players. And, and really what I find that helps, at least with me, is that it helps me find what I think is going to be the, the structure that I think gives my team sort of the most upside. And because... Obviously, you're putting all these players in. In there will be their projected, well, my projected average for each of these players. It will then, for that particular team, spit out that team total for that for that uh, you know, team total score. And then you can compare that, say, starting um, two cheap rucks versus Tim English and Roland Marshall in your ruck line. And again, you can it then sort of you can compare all the different scores amongst all these mock mock teams, and then. Um, pick the one you like and then over the preseason obviously players will swap in and out um, etc but yeah that's probably how I'm spending most of my time that and obviously just following all the preseason news like everyone else at the moment. Yeah so that's interesting uh, that you've got this spreadsheet that's essentially helping you find the optimal structure let's call it and then from there you're able to kind of put the players in or select the players that you like so that's going to be some good good knowledge going into talking line by line so let's start with the defense how are you looking to sort of structure up the defense at the moment before we go into some specific players? Yeah, look, like most people, I probably had a pretty vanilla um, defense up until maybe a week or two ago. Probably the Chapman injury is the one that made me change things up a little bit. I had, you know, Tom Stewart at sort of D1 and then Hayden Young at D2, Elliot Yo at D3, Chapman at D4, Zach Williams at D5, and then Caulfield at D6. And the Chapman injury kind of threw me for a loop because – you know, it was probably similar to Yo last year where it was like a relatively key guy 
at a pretty awkward price point where it wasn't that easy just to replace them with someone else. And when they kind of get injured, you're like, like shit, I've got to either restructure here or find someone else at that price point that I really like. Um, and at that time, there probably wasn't someone in that price point that I really liked. And, you know, there may be one or two options now that we, you know, that, that might be emerging, someone like a Buderick, for instance. But um, but at least when, you know, when that injury happened, I kind of just scrapped my 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 sort of defense and sort of started again. And I find that that's a pretty useful thing to do because, I don't know, like maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but yeah, we can often or I can often sort of put someone in at, at a position thinking that they're a lock early in the preseason and never kind of force myself to think about it again. Um, you know, Tom Stewart's probably an example like that. I would then... You know, maybe Hayden Young might be someone like that. I haven't really heard anyone mount an argument against starting Hayden Young. And, you know, if I'm being honest, I'm almost certainly going to start him, but I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk pick. I mean, he's priced at 89. Um, you know, Frio already have a couple of guys, you know, in the midfield in Sarong and Brayshaw that are going at, you know, 110-ish already. You've got Nathan Fife going in you know, in the midfield in a full-time role, not a bit part role. And you know, people point to those four scores from last year when Hayden Young moved into the midfield full-time and use that in his example of what he might do. And look, he certainly scored well in those four games. He went 119, 102, 91, 94. But, you know, in those two-ton games, he combined for 18 tackles. So you ask yourself, is that really, you know, is that going to be sort of sustainable? Um, in addition to that, you know, in in those few games, Frio ran an absurdly tight CBA rotation. It was basically all three of those guys getting 80-plus CBAs. So if um, Fife is going in there full-time and if they want to get a little bit of inside mid-time for someone like Johnson, then, you know, something's got to give there. And, I, I, you know, I don't think that CBA rotation is going to stay the same at all. And so... You know, I, I question again whether Hayden Young is the absolute stone cold lock that everyone seems to think he is, or am I missing something? What do you think? Yeah, look, I'm I'm big on Hayden Young being a Freo man myself. Freo weren't very good in the midfield last year, and they've identified a need of having that you know, some bigger bodied midfielders in there to apply a bit of pressure, but also be able to win the ball on the inside. It's pretty well documented at this stage that oh, how, as good as Andy Brayshaw is. He's not really winning the ball too much on the inside. He's he's more of an outside player, but he does tackle. So, you know, I'm I'm I don't think he's going to average over a hundred. I'm not projecting that. I'm I've been pretty big on you know three midfielders in the same team not really being able to average over one hundred. And if you are someone that's projecting Brayshaw to be one ten, Caleb Sarong to you know be what he was last year, or 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 maybe even improve with a bit of natural progression then yeah, I can't see Hayden Young averaging over 100, but there's no reason that he can't be a, a 95 to 98 averaging player um, and that will still prove to be a good value pick from his price being a top six defender. But it also wouldn't shock me if Hayden Young goes in there and he almost becomes the number one midfielder because he's that he's that good. He He's an absolute gun. He, there's the Jordan Dawson, Jordan Dawson um, comparison, which I don't think he's Jordan Dawson, but He's the bigger bodied left footer that just has an unbelievable kick and 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 puts on amazing tackle pressure. So you are right, Fife going in there. The word is that they want to get Johnson some more time in there as well. There's only so much midfield time that everyone can have, but also it wouldn't surprise me if maybe an Andy Brayshaw starts forward and rotates straight into the centre bounce once Fife's done the, the centre bounce or maybe Brayshaw starts out on a wing and can play a bit more like Errol where he's essentially just a fifth midfielder that just pushes in from the wing. So yeah, I'd... With Hayden Young's ownership, I'd, you'd be a brave man to to pass it up. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the ownership is probably the thing for me. It's like that plus the upside, and I completely agree with everything you've said. And again, um, even though I'm questioning whether he will get to triple figures, it wouldn't shock me if he went to 105, for instance. And so I can't be sort of left on the sidelines with with half the comp, you know, having that in, the, in, in their side, and, and I don't. But... I mean, one guy that I've been quite keen on, um, particularly following the Chapman injury, is, is Jordan Clark. And I think comparing Young to Jordan Clark is probably a good example of, you know, some of the picks that you've typically liked over the years, i.e. those guys that are not quite priced at that premium level, but with the improvement that you're projecting can get to that premium level for their line, whereas Clark is the guy, you know, one or two tiers below that 
even with improvement and perhaps even more improvement than, you know, someone like Hayden Young from a, a points per game perspective, but unlikely to get to that sort of um, top six defender sort of range. But you look at someone like Jordan Clark p- priced at 77 before there was a bit of concern whether he was going to stay at half back or perhaps get shuffled up to a wing. I think perhaps now with the Chapman injury that, you know, that half back spot is Jordan Clark's and, I do think he can probably match what Hayden Young did sort of late, uh, sorry, in that halfback role last year, which was sort of that high 80s range. Um, And, you know, priced at 77, if you can go, let's call it 89 to 91. Luke Ryan recently came out and specifically said that this year he's looking to lower his eyes a little bit. And he felt that by looking for some sort of short range options that opens up the game a little bit more for Fremantle. So, does that maybe play into the hands of Jordan Clarkey? He is a nice kick. Um, so, I mean, let me put that to you. What if, you know, if you had the choice between picking Hayden Young at his current sort of, you know, price at point of 89, and if I told you he was going to go, let's say, 95, and Jordan Clark priced at 77 was going to go, let's just say 90, who would you pick? Yeah, that's... That's a tough one. In that scenario, probably Jordan Clark. I think I'd probably want a, a few points more. I think yep. a 92 is probably where you need him to get to. And, and coincidentally, that is uh, Papowski's worthwhile average number. But I think mm. from a high 70s price point, you need low 90s to be close enough um, as a worthwhile pick. And yeah, I don't know. Hayden Young going at 95 from an 89 price stat figure, 95 is probably going to be a top six defender, if not top eight. And you're not going to have to trade that out until absolute luxury time. So I'm I'm right on the fence on that one. But yeah, probably Jordan Clark if he can get to 92. Yeah. But I doubt whether he can get there. To be honest, there's yes, he's he's going into that role, and there's going to be more ball back there with Hayden Young moving out. But I think it's too simplistic to say that Hayden Young out, Jordan Clark in. We did see in the last three games him average over 100, and I think it was about 88 in the last five. But I've always been pretty big on the last, you know, five games of football being played by a side that's not playing finals is very differently than what we're going to see um, to start the season. And Frio need to change up what their their game plan is. They come from a, a Buckley system or Longmuir did where they sort of chip around in the back half and, and don't really move it forward. Yes, there's no evidence to say that they're going to change that up at all. But if they do manage to maybe get a little bit more out of the midfield and play more of a forward half game, then maybe those numbers do drop in defence and we don't see... Uh, those high defensive numbers that we saw last year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the hard part with the that sort of price point, and you saw it with someone like an Andy McGrath last year, like everyone sort of picked him, well, a lot of people picked him, you know, expecting him to sort of go to that next level as well. And the problem is, is that those types, they if they don't sort of do what you're hoping, their scores are never that bad that they become such a high priority trade out that you have to do it that week or else. Um but they're not really giving you anything either. And they plot along with these sort of relatively average scores. And the next thing you know, it's like seven rounds in and you haven't been able to trade them out and you're kind of stuck with them. And so, I mean, that's something I'd, you know, I I, I wasn't uh, an Andy Brayshaw or an, um, Andy McGraw owner last year, but I know DT Lemon was. And from memory, he traded him out after round one. And I, I remember listening to a podcast and he was like, he actually, like, it wasn't just like I wanted – he specifically said, no, he's, he just wasn't getting the ball back there that I thought he was. He was not getting any sort of chip, chip, chip sort of um, stuff. And, and so, like, he – you know, that that's a pretty sharp sort of fantasy eye. But most people don't have that. And so he'll, you know, priced at 77, he might give you an 81. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe next week he'll, you know, pop a score. And the next week it's 78. And then the next week it's oh, 92. And then you're on here. And the next week it's a 69. And then you're like – Again, you, you know, you're not getting anything. So, um, what are your thoughts in terms of the, sort of that Frio game style? Do you think they're gonna there's gonna be all those points on offer again this year? Yeah, look, I think there probably will. I I hope from a fan point of view that there isn't. I hope that they're going to improve and they're going to play more of a forward half brand and actually be able to get the ball forward because it's been very frustrating as a fan to watch them just chip around in the back and and allow teams to just set up behind and, and pick them off when they go too slow forward because they don't have a good forward line either in terms of they're still very young. So I hope they change. But, yeah, potentially it's a it's a situation where they're not able to. So 
If I had to project it, I'd say Jordan Clark is going to improve, but I'd I'd peg him as more of an 87 to 89 type average, which is going to be yeah. a good improvement. But for a classic point of view, it's not going to be enough improvement and it's not going to be enough to get close to the top six numbers either, which means you do get caught in limbo or maybe you do maybe you do trade him out, but you'd want to hope that you've nailed the rest of your team either because it's not going to be high priority. No, I think that's that's fair. Yeah, I mean, coming back to your question about my sort of defensive structure, I mean, I've I've really liked putting sort of Zach Williams at my D6, which means probably no Caulfield. Um, and, you know, Caulfield's another one that I've seen basically locked into everyone's side. And I'm I'm not – I mean, I don't think he's going to be a bad pick. I think he will make cash. I don't think he's going to burn people. But he's priced at 40. This is not a situation where he's like basement priced um, or anything like that. So he's priced at 40. And, I, you know, I don't think he's really ever averaged much above sort of low 60s which again he's going to make you a little bit of cash but you can get a you know a, another rookie that might be able to give you that I, I don't know who that might be in in, in defense but even someone like maybe marty Hoare, if he's best 22 we'll, we'll get a look at him and obviously you know demons play round zero as well but he's 60 70k cheaper um probably going to give you similar scores but again i've really liked my defense with with zach williams in in that sort of D6 spot. It just means obviously spending up a little bit in the uh, sort of that defense line, which means going a little bit thinner somewhere else. But, you know, guys that I'm looking at at that top end, I'm still really on the fence with Nick Dacos. Um, I, I can, I, I'm, I'm so, sort of warming to it. it. To me now, it's actually less about the buy or the tag and way more about whether I can actually afford it. Um, and so I probably won't go him because again, I just, it just, it's just so much money in that one spot, um, that, you know, I like, again, this comes back to what I like to do, which is just put together a whole bunch of different sort of combinations of players and the combination with Dacos, it looks great in terms of the defense, but it, it, it leaves me a little bit thin elsewhere, but, you know, other guys at that top end, I really like, I'm, you know, with the, with the sort of, um, the Jack Sinclair injury, I'm. I'm looking a little bit more at Wanganeen Millerer. I mean, Sinclair is probably going to be back by round one, but you know, you then ask the question about is he going to be a little bit underdone? Will will they use him in the same role? I mean, that'll be you know, easy to answer with the benefit of hindsight. But again, looking at him, um, obviously Hayden Young, we've already touched on. Harry Sheasel, I'm finding really interesting. That comment from the coach the other day. I mean. We've kind of forgotten about Sheasel, and I don't understand why. Like, this guy came out and averaged 97 in his rookie year. Um, and, yes, that's a very high price, and I am also worried about him being shuffled into a midfield forward role. But the coach the other day came out and, and said to start the season, um, Sheasel's going to be in defence. Um, and in the intra-club uh, intra the other day, Sheasel was in defence. Now, granted, there was no Fisher there was no Scott. I don't even think Luke McDonald was playing, but, um, you know, and wait and see you know, where she's always lining up with all those guys there. But again, the coach specifically said the plan at this stage is for for Sheasel to stay in defence. And, and notably, David King on Twitter, um, I asked the question of him, do I, you know, do you think Sheasel's going to stay in, in defence with all these guys returning? And he just replied, yes. And I, I, I don't think he would say that without some sort of inside knowledge and so if Sheasel was to remain in defense he's currently priced at 97 would you start him uh he's someone that's recently come into my side and he he kind of goes in and out if I decide that I want to restructure and have a look at some uh some structures without two big dogs in defense yeah but yeah absolutely I'm, he's someone I'm looking at yeah I do I've always sort of worried that he would get sort of pushed into the midfield um, and they maybe a little bit forward because that's what they drafted him for. And I mm. think that's where he's going to end up. But if they decide that they want another year with him just racking up off the back line, then there's no reason that he can't uh, do what he did last year and and go even better. Is there room in a, in a North Melbourne system that don't doesn't favour scoring too heavily because of, you know they do get belted a fair bit? for him and an LDU to go 105 plus because you really need them to from from those price points. Maybe Sheasel doesn't need to go 105. Maybe a, a 103, 104 would be a fantastic result from his price, but can they both do it? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think that'll probably be hard. I mean, the reason I like LDU, I mean, we'll get to the mids in a minute, but like the reason I like LDU so much is like he's like the lone top dog in that midfield. And 
over the years we've often seen you know the one top dog mid in a relatively thin midfield um, in a bad side you know a guy that can lay a tackle they're the ones that tend to really put up you know big scores and you know Rowan on Twitter he's put together this concept of market share and um, in terms of how much of a team's points a particular player is able to to, to gather um, you know and that's where that sort of sort of fits with someone like an LDU. Obviously, you've got a Wardlaw in there, but he's in his second year. I actually am in Selby's camp that they're actually going to manage Wardlaw a lot more than people realise. And so I would rather Sheasel be in defence, racking up all the ball back there, and LDU be in the mid, um, you know, getting everything he wants there. But I'm with you. If if we get sort of further confirmation or indication that Sheasel's staying in defence to at least start the year, I'd struggle to not start him because he's someone that, you know, we've seen him put up 120s in his rookie year. So, uh, you know, and we saw Dacos's improvement from his first to second year. What's to say we're not going to see a similar sort of improvement out of out of Sheasel? Anyone else that you're liking in sort of in, in defence? Uh, you mentioned him briefly but didn't really touch on it, but I think Elliot Yo is almost my first pick yep. at the moment. Uh, coaches are going to say you shouldn't go there because how many times has he burnt us over the last two years? But this is the type of pick that if it comes off, you're, you're well on your way to a high ranking, you know, priced at 70 full-time midfield role in a team that's developing. He's going to have all of the responsibility in the world. There's always going to be that issue with his body. But, you know, if he gets to the full preseason, then there's no reason to suggest with a new medical staff and everything he's done this preseason that he's not going to be able to, at a minimum, put a good five, six, seven games for us and, and elevate his price. But, if it, if it all comes off, he can average 100 and be a top six defender for us from a 70 price point. You know, that's why I say that's why I'm struggling to pick a Jordan Clark at 77 when there's an Elliot Yo at 70 just, you know, staring us in the face. Yeah, that's fair. I think, um, yeah, Yo's in my side as well. It's just a matter of whether he's going to be D3, D4, or D5. Um, so that's the main, main thing with him. Um, what are you thinking in terms of in defense with a couple of the cheaper guys? I'll put together a. A couple names for you. Um, what about a Marcus Windhager? You know, he's priced at 63. He had a whole bunch of sub-games last year. Paddy Dow's now injured. Zach Jones, I think I heard some that he got injured at the recent intra-club. If he's not, he's probably going to get injured soon anyway. Um, and there was another fellow there that I'm forgetting. Uh, Brad Crouch, he's still recovering from from some injury as well. So if those three are either all going to be out or at least underdone, that's a pretty thin midfield. Um, so you've got Jack Steele and I'm not, I mean, Liam Henry played inside mid at their intra club the other day. So what are you thinking about Windhager? Yeah, look, he's interesting. I thought I read somewhere that Crouch played in the intra club game today or Ooh. yesterday. I thought yeah. I read that in the same, the same place that said that Liam Henry was inside mid, but I might be wrong there. The problem I have with Winhager is I think he's going to be playing more midfield, but he's definitely the go-to tagger. And, and you're right, we don't know whether tags are going to happen or, or whether they'll happen early. But there was games last year that I watched with Winhager when he was the tagger, he was not interested in the ball whatsoever. And that just really resulted in some serious floor games. And for someone at his price point, we do really need him to go 85+. plus. And that's going to be quite difficult um, if he's going to be doing these little tagging jobs and not really hunting the footy. So I'm a, I'm not there on Windhager yet, but don't get me wrong. Um, I'm watching him pretty closely in the preseason to see what his role is. And if he is unleashed as that M3 where he's actually able to hunt the footy, then absolutely there's upside in his price. I'm just not sure where it's going to end up. No, I agree with you. I don't... I'm. I, I can't do it as a tagger. I think it's not just about the floor scores. I think it also just massively limits the possibility of a ceiling score. And so, and really for those mid prices, you need a out of the box 110 somewhere along, you know, hopefully relatively early just to kickstart that cash gen. And, you know, if there's a possibility of, uh, you know, a tagging role, then I, I can't see that happening. Yeah, and I, I suppose we do need to highlight the difference between tagging roles, right? So you've got a Josh Dunkley type that they, mm. say, he's a, they say he's a tagger, but he's not. He... He's the the main go-to at the stoppage where he takes the the opposition's most dangerous mid and, and applies pressure at the stoppage where he puts on a lot of tackle pressure. But outside of the stoppage, he's able to then go and hunt the footy and get the ball in transition, whereas someone like a, a Windhager or a Finn McGuinness, 
mm. they're at the stoppage, but their role is to actually follow that player around for the entire the entire game, and they're not really able to hunt the footy. So there there is a difference there. Like a Hayden Young was a, a tagger at the back end of last year, but he was he was that in that Dunkley mold where he was able to get high tackles at the stoppage because he's dangerous. Uh, he's manning the most dangerous mid, but he's actually has a license to then hunt the footy on the outside as well. What are you thinking about Nick Dacos? Uh, I can't do it because of the Finn McGuinness into the bye, into Port Adelaide being a tough matchup as well. Um, But in saying that, if he comes out in round zero and does everything we expect him to do and and puts up a 130-plus score, uh, maybe I do need to restructure a little bit. But at the moment, I won't be be picking Nick Dacos. I think the price tag is too high and... Oh, man, he, he might make me look stupid again after not picking him last year if he comes out and goes from 108 to, to 120. But, yeah, it's it's going to be it's tough, tough one, for me. So let me ask you this. What does, the, what does an opening round score of 127, what does that change for you? Because uh, you know, right now you know he can do that. In any given game, we know he can go 120 plus. So if he does that round, round zero, like why does that change things for you? Yeah, no, you're right. It doesn't. I, I won't be picking Nick Dacos to start. If he if he burns me, he burns me. But, um, you know, Sydney don't have Ryan Clark anymore, but they put attention into him uh, the last three times they've played. And and more often than not, we see, even though it's not really going to be the first game for them after playing round zero, but we we generally see round one pretty hot. Yeah. Um, and then I know they've got St. Kilda, I think, round three, which, don't get me wrong, St. Kilda gave up heaps and heaps of points last year, but... It would not surprise me if they run a Windhager with him to try and put on a little bit of pressure as well. Yeah. So there's just too many ifs there for me at a 108 price tag. I'm 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 going to fade him and and take him on. And if he gets me, he gets me. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I'm, and I'm, I think that's the thing with with, with him. It's just it, both the ceiling scores. We know they're possible, but he puts together one of those like a 60 or something like that, or. A, you know, a, an eighty against Finn, a buy, and then an and then a ninety-one against Will Drew, and then he's going to drop a fair bit. You jump on, then um, you're going to be looking pretty. If I guaranteed you, uh, obviously I can't guarantee this, but if I guaranteed you Finn McGuinness was not going to tag him, would you pick him? Uh, I still probably, I still probably wouldn't. Last year we had all the same thoughts with Sam Doherty, yep. him being the the number one price defender by a mile. You know, we pick him because he's going to be 10 points better than the next, but Sicily still went 105. Sinclair went 102. There was a couple of guys that were in the high 90s. Things can happen. You know, yep. a 108 price tag is huge. Yep. Like I said, if he gets away to a hot start and goes 120, then I'm in a bit of trouble. But, you know, it, that's just the game of fantasy. I think the risks of him dropping cash and being able to get him later, I think that's probably more likely in this scenario with all of the variables that we're, we're given. No, I agree, and I think someone like Yo, I don't know. I, 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 you know, you can always have these plans now, but I, I'm looking at someone as like Yo as the guy that's going to help me get to to Dacos. I don't think getting a Nick Caulfield to Dacos at round seven is going to be feasible, <laughs> you know, as much as we like to think it's going to happen. But someone like a Yo, uh, a Yo, or if you like a Butterick type, or if you want one of those sort of, you know, a Windhager type, somewhere in that sort of price range. Um, and you hope that Dacos has a stinker or two and he drops 100K and then, you know, you can put a couple of 100K on their head um, and that might be able to get you to a Dacos. You're right. You only have to look at last year. I I forgot the exact sort of term that was used. I think it was the, was it the three pillars of strength or the four pillars of strength? And it was Doherty in the back line, Laird in the midfield and Dunkley in the forward line. And there may have been someone else I'm not forgetting. And Doc didn't start very well. Laird had a stinker to start with and Dunkley to start with also didn't start well. So these guys that we pick out of, you know, ironically for safety, um, they often can sometimes be some of our worst picks and actually make it really, really hard to then catch up. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that fantasy IQ is, you know, figuring out and and, and taking a bit of risk on on who to punt uh, and, and who to fade. I know the winner last year, he didn't start with Dunkley when all we heard in the preseason that Dunkley was a must start. He's moved to Brisbane. He's going to be, a, you know, the second midfielder behind Neil. And if he could do what he did at the Bulldogs on, you know, 40% CBAs, then him in 80% CBAs guarantees a 115. And, and it just didn't happen. So 
you know, you've got to be, you've got to, you can't be afraid to go against the echo chamber every now and again. And to be honest, if it burns you, which it definitely did for me last year in, in certain points, but that's just the game. If it comes off, then, you know, you're well on your way to a high ranking, which is what you need. That's it. All right, let's uh, let's move from defense. Let's move into the midfield now because this is a an, an intriguing talking point. I've I've got a mate who, a bit like you, has been building up a spreadsheet and and getting all these you know projected scores from his teams. And this spreadsheet just keeps spitting out a three rookie midfield for him in terms of optimizing his uh, starting team. And and that's interesting to me because all of the teams that I've really come up with, at least recently, have all just only had the two rookies in the midfield so where are you sitting at structure wise at the moment the thing is is that a a spreadsheet like that is always going to favor starting that extra rookie if you put them if you plug in a score of 60 because they're so cheap um, and they'll outperform their price by 40 points or something that it, it but you're always then this is where some of that sort of intuition also has to come in where it's like you've then got to ask yourself all right, well, again, you look at the new sub-rules this year, uh, any of these guys' sub-risks. If they're my three on-field on rooks, who am I going to put on the bench? Um, are we going to really have five rooks? And I know someone like Sharp is not necessarily a, a rookie, etc. cetera. Um, and so I initially, and I, I put up a tweet or a poll a, a week or two ago asking people what their preferred structure is, and it seemed to me the most popular one was uh, off the top of my head, um, was probably the three rooks um, followed by two rooks plus one mid-pricer and the main mid-pricer seems to be someone like George Wardlaw. But at the moment, my favoured structure is actually two rookies with, again, one of those being Jeremy Sharp. So, and I, even though he's extremely, you know, he's rookie priced, I'm not sort of, you know, what thing I like about that is that you know, he's not really, a, 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 he probably doesn't have the same risks. I mean, you may feel differently that's, that some of the other rooks do. Like, so um, so I feel a bit more confident with him. And I think McKercher in that Sheezer role last year will score quite well. I can then feel quite comfortable putting a couple of rooks on my on my bench, you know, whether it be a Sanders, I'm not still not sure about him at the moment. Um, he's getting good buzz though, but... You know, Matty Roberts is obviously playing off a half back at the moment at Sydney. Um, is he going to? Is that role going to stick? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, someone like Josh Sin uh, a day or two ago did really well in the the Port Intra Club. Um, you've obviously got Lazar is also also forward um, eligible as well. Clay Hall got injured today, but um, I, I particularly with um, the best eighteen, I like the idea of not starting as many rooks on the field, but then potentially having an option to sort of loop the best bench score onto my field, if that makes sense. And so I think starting three rooks just doesn't make that the idea of doing that a little bit harder, but maybe the benefit you get from doing that is a little bit less because you're starting the extra rook on field anyway, if that makes sense. So at the moment, I'm preferring starting, you know, Jeremy Sharp and a, and a rookie. Um, I've actually seen some teams going with one rook. Um, I've experimented with those sides, and you can perhaps do that this year because there does seem to be so much value on offer. Um, we don't really have many forward premium options that we're comfortable with at all. There's a bunch of sort of um, obviously value options in the in the rucks as well, and so you, you can either spend up in the mids. But interestingly, there are also a whole bunch of um, mids priced around that 80 to 85 mark that you know can conceivably go mid to high 90s and perhaps above so it's actually quite easy to then put a, a wines a nick martin and aim on a crouch you know or a guthrie you could pick three or four of those and and fill your midfield and it actually doesn't look too bad the problem is is that what if all of them don't sort of do as you expect you're kind of leaving yourself in a little bit of a lurch how many trades you're going to be able to really use to sort of fix up those and again at that price point are you going to have a whole bunch of sort of parachute options I'm not really sure but at the moment my structure is sort of a three sort of inverted commas premium mids um, the most expensive which of is Jack Steele um, and then Probably, I'm probably going to pick two of those, two of those options that in that 80-ish, 85 sort of points per game mark. Uh, 
that I just sort of listed off. And then as I, as I just mentioned, um, then a sort of a, um, or two or three, I should say, I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Um, and then sort of a Jeremy Sharp and McKercher at uh, M7 and M8. But for me, it's probably that M4 spot about do I pay up for that guy or do I pick that mid-pricer, um, which then allows me to then fill out another sort of spot in my side. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm I'm currently running with the the two rookie midfield as well. I like you. I did actually experiment a few days ago with a, a one rookie mm. midfield, which I actually didn't hate the look of the team to be honest. But I still think that we can't be filling our teams with too many of these guys. I know we've got un, uh, not unlimited trades. We've got two trades a week, which does seem like a lot. But I guarantee rounds two, three, four, five come along, and three or four of them aren't performing two trades feels like absolutely nothing. You just can't fix, you know, all these other sides are getting off to an absolute fly because maybe they've nailed the right guy or they haven't taken on maybe quite as much risk and they're able to get across to the set of fields or to the Jack Zebels from last year, a few injuries, and then you're in a bit of strife. So I still, yeah, there's definitely room for, for maybe a little bit more value this year considering we are spending down in the forward line. But yeah, you know, you saying that you've, potentially got a Zach Williams at D6, which means you're starting, you know, three mid-prices in defense, mm. coupled that with two or three in the forward line because there's, you know, no premiums on offer there and you want to throw in another three or four value midfield guys as well. How are you getting How are you getting five of them out at once if they don't do what we think they'll do in preseason, which, let's be honest, it's not a guarantee that they will. No, it's a fair point. I guess my counter-argument to that, and I think it's a very valid argument, by the way, my counterpoint would be, but what if they do all do what I'm expecting, right? I mean, that's when you're on for the Hilux, right? Um, and so I guess it, that comes then down to how you want to play the game or what you're kind of shooting for. And um, now I'm I'm not a, although having said that on my Twitter handle, it says car or bust. I, I'm firmly in the camp that you can, you can't, I don't think, in all likelihood, you can necessarily win the Hilux with your starting side. I, I haven't, even looking at Darren Carr's starting side from last year, um, it's not as if like they've nailed every unique pick or anything like that. Like, I, I you know, the, the old adage that it's a trading game is so true. And I do think sometimes you do need to just, as much as, particularly if you spend a little bit of time on the game like we do, it's always tempting to kind of back yourself, back the research that you've done. But sometimes you've just got a there's a little bit of game theory of being like, you know what, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna put my, myself in a position where I've completely fucked my team going into round two, and I see I'm chasing my tail for the rest of the season, right? And I think that comes back to your point of like, look, not all the guys we're picking are gonna pan out like we think they are, um, but. Again, the counterpoint is what if they do? <laughs> and so yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But, but the thing is, I mean, if we go through them though, you, you look at someone like Wines, right? He's priced at 78. He he had a completely injury interrupted, not just preseason last year, but through the year. Like he he was hobbled. He was not the same player. So I don't think we can look at him last year and go. I've seen some people go, oh, but in this game, he got 60% CBAs and look what he scored. He was injured. So let's not worry about last year, in my view. Um, even the previous year, um, you know, like this is a guy that, again, Port Adelaide also have a relatively, um, you know, a relatively like nice start schedule um, to start the season. And so, like, you look at 2022 as well, and this was the sort of the, the post-Brownlow year where he was supposed to apparently had a hangover. Um, he averaged 98, but you look at his sort of game log. He was, you know, he was getting some ceiling scores in there. He had one in injury-interrupted game. Um, but would it shock you if, if Ollie Wines came out and over the first six rounds averaged 102, right? It would, like, that wouldn't shock you, would it? Um, and I, from all reports, Hinkley came out a week or two ago and said, Ollie's back. He's going to be back in the inside. Um, you know, none of this playing him on the wing anymore. It sounds like, you know, um, Will Drew's potentially going to be lining up on, on the, you know, at least in terms of the center bounce is going to be out on the wing. You know, maybe he goes on the inside for certain games, you know, depending on matchups or whatever, but 
I think they're going to run a relatively tight rotation with Rosie Butters, Wines, with Horn Francis chipping in there, obviously Drew chipping in there and, you know, throwing the odd occasional one or two other guys. So I actually think that Wines will get back to 70% CBAs. And in that scenario, you know, he could score quite well. But the question is, one, Port Adelaide are a very low fantasy scoring team. Coming back to your earlier point with regards to Sarong and Brayshaw, how many teams are going to have, you know, three guys going at 100-plus? Um, you know, can Wines, can Wines get there? And I guess my counterpoint to that would be we don't need him to do it for a season. Can he do it for eight weeks? That's, that, like, that's the question. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. There's no, there's no reason that you can't have three midfielders average over 100 for a stretch if they've got a good, a good run. Uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm very interested to see how Port Adelaide line up and, and how Wines goes. It's part of the reason why I've been a little bit colder on Butters as well. Yeah. Just because I think Rosie is the man like he's the man in there and I I I'd I'd probably put money on him at least staying where he is, if not improving slightly. But you know, if, if Wines is gonna come back in and, and be that not the same guy, he's not gonna win a Brownlow, but if he's gonna come in and, and take the load off those younger guys so that they can push deeper in, in finals and, and really give it a go, then in that low-scoring system, there's only so much ball to go around. You know, can Butters go above 105 from there? He, he obviously can, but whether he does or not, who really knows? Wines is an interesting one. You've been really big on Cam Guthrie as well. Can you just sell him to me because I'm not there? Uh, look, I wouldn't. Uh, he's on the short list. You know, um, I, I wouldn't say I'm huge on him. He's not in my team at the moment. I think the thing with Guthrie is again he's priced at 84. Um, I, he was obviously injured last year. He's come out. He's saying he's fit. Danger's saying he's, you know, had a ripping preseason. He's like looking amazing. And again, I'd put him in the same sort of bracket as a wines of. Look, I don't think they're guys that I think are going to average 105 for the season by any stretch. But I do think that they are guys that I think can put together a high 90s, low 100 average over six to eight weeks. Um, and again, it de- kind of depends on how you want to approach the game. But I-, I think if you're going to be relatively aggressive in terms of trading those types out at the right time, and that's not easy to do at all, um, that's when someone like that will, you know, I-, I think has a role to play in, in your side. I'm probably not going to roll with a-, a Guthrie because I'm, I don't know, I think he's got an okay floor. Um, I question the upside um, there in terms of putting together a, a ceiling score. Um, and and again, coming back to your point, I just don't know how many of these guys I can have, and I, I probably prefer a few of the others. Are there any guys you are considering above the 100 mark? So you said your your most expensive midfielder is Jack Steele. Yep. Are there any captain options above that that you're looking at? Uh, the only the, – Rosie's been in, in and out of my side – but I'd, the Port Adelaide guys, I kind of am. I, I'd rather just watch and see how those how that whole situation shakes out. And I'd put the the Fremantle sort of guys in the same bucket. It's just again, you've got Fife going in their full time midfield, Wines coming back in a healthy, you know, full time inside mid role, and I just want to see what happens there. And again, if 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 Rosie was priced at ninety seven or something like the shore, but He's priced at 106 already, um, and so I just don't know where he can go from there. Well, I know where he can go. I'm just not sure it's going to happen. And so, the the only one I would say that I've I'm really interested in is um, Darcy Parish, and I don't know why. And it's the one thing I like about him is he's remarkably consistent. And so we talk about guys that. You know, these guys at the 105, 110 mark, and they get off to a stinker, and then you can pick them up cheaper. And But this guy's Parrish has got an amazing floor. Like, it's like he never scores below 90. The problem, though, is when I when I looked at his numbers a little bit deeper, it's just that the, the lack of ceiling scores with merit in the side. That seems to be the issue. When merit's not in the side, and the, the reverse is probably also true, by the way, but um, with, with merit and Parrish, but... Um, with Merritt in the side, Darcy doesn't seem to get those that monster scores that I think he got, what was it, 2021? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, Merritt um, was out during that patch yeah, too. Exactly. 
and so that, but parish again like you know we can talk about how much value is in these comments but merits come out and said parish is in absolutely ripping nick um he's at that age where you know guys sometimes it's not often but sometimes do go to that next level it's not always linear and so um you know he's got that inside outside game i do think essendon are going to be better this year which you know should help him as well and so just purely on intuition and just guess, to be honest with you, I can see him going from 106 to 112. Um, you know, but then you go, look, otherwise I could easily just, you know, pick up a, you know, obviously Jack Steele we've already talked about, but even, you know, a Jai Newcomb, like, you know, Jai Newcomb I'm pretty bullish on. I wrote the, the Deck of DT article on Jai Newcomb. You know, I could see him matching Parrish as well. So then when you're putting together this spreadsheet and you've basically – peg them at roughly the same average, let's say, um, it's hard to then pick Parrish. So, um, so yeah, in answer to your question, I'm probably not going to pick anyone priced at sort of well, you know, well above 100, but if I was going to pick one, it would probably be him. What about you? Yeah, look, I thought you were going to turn around and ask me that before you went on your, your big chat, but Parrish is actually my M1 at the moment. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe same a little same. bit of bit of gut feel as well. Um, yeah. You know, you know, coaches are going to turn around and say, well, you, you always said that you just said before that, you know, you can't have too many midfielders averaging, you know, above 100. But we keep hearing about this deep Essendon midfield, but I think it's the absolute opposite. I think it's Merritt and Parrish and then it's daylight. You've just had Hobbs with his AC joint. They put Caldwell, Caldwell through there sometimes. And then it's the kids, it's Perkins, it's maybe Asadas. You know, Stringer goes in there for one CBA a quarter, but it's just those two and absolutely nothing. So it wouldn't surprise me if we have a year where both of them average 110 because Essendon aren't a good footy side. They're not going to be pushing for finals or at least pushing for a premiership. Those are the type of teams you need to hunt for your fantasy scorers. You look at a Collingwood, Brisbane, Port Adelaide, you know, they they don't have these high fantasy scoring midfielders because they're playing good team football. It's not It's not what happens, but a team like Essendon that are – you know, not in the hunt, more than happy to chip around and get that cheap ball. I, I, it would not surprise me if we had Parrish and Merritt both go above 110 this year. So he's he's in there for me at the moment. Whether I hold my nerve and pick him or not is a different question. But, I, yeah, I think he, if it does come together for him, I could, I could see him going above 110 and being a pretty valuable pick. Yeah, interesting. One thing in the midfield that I've been sort of going big, back and forth on, and I'm, I'll credit both your conversation with both Lemon and more recently with JD that probably opened my eyes up to little uh, to this a little bit, which is starting those midfielders that um, have the early buy. So specifically guys like a, like a Walsh, um, you know, or even a Took who no one seems to be talking about at the moment, which is pretty amazing. But um I'm, I'm actually depending obviously on what they look like in in round zero and I question I still question with Walsh that Carlton game style you saw what happened in the second half of l- last year when Carlton clearly changed their game style and it it did not suit Walsh at all um, his marks completely fell off the fell off the map and um, but sometimes in these teams and we saw it with Dacos last year sometimes with these low scoring teams, you do have a guy that is just immune to it and they're just too bloody good. And Walsh might be that guy this year. And I think I read somewhere, I can't remember where that, this is his first like proper full preseason he's had in a couple of years, right? And so I I think as fantasy community, like we can often underestimate the importance of a full preseason. And, um, you know, guys that have a, a pretty interrupted preseason, they're often chasing their tail throughout the year and they can never get back to what they otherwise would have been. And so... Again, it's his first full preseason um, in a little while. Again, we saw what he did in the finals. Um, you know, even with the Carlton game, so it may not be suiting his thing. He's priced at, what is it, 94, 95 in that range? Yeah, 95. Like, especially if you're only starting, say, two rooks in the in the midfield. And this is why I like not going too, too many rookies in the midfield. Is like It gives you this flexibility of like, okay, you know what, that round to whatever game it is that Walsh has his buy, I can then loop, you know, one of my midfield bench rookies to, to replace that score. So I've got potentially a double shot at a decent rookie score to replace Walsh. And let me be optimistic and say that spits out a 70. I'm paying 
a price of 95 for Walsh, you, you lose out on, you know, the equivalent of 20, 30 points. It's not the end of the world. Um, and so, you know, the question is how many of those guys can you do that with? But if Walsh comes out and looks amazing, I'm probably going to start him because I – and I think you can do this with these guys that are, that you think are clearly undervalued. And if if Walsh didn't have that buy, I don't I, I think everyone would – you know, he'd be on everyone's radar, you know, and be a, a very, very popular pick. Um and so there's an opportunity there to potentially to get a little bit ahead of the pack by just eating that buy and getting a, an underpriced premium at value. Yeah, look, you don't need to. We don't need to talk about that anymore. I think you summed that up beautifully. And, and to your point, he's actually in my side at the moment. I'm looking oh, to structure go. up with him. Um, I do have Jeremy Sharp on the bench, who has North Melbourne um, in round two when he's on the buy. So potentially, you know, hopefully Sharp can have a, a bit more of a ceiling score there, and, and maybe I'm not losing out on too many points. But yeah, I think with his value, I, I still believe his value, that Nick Dacos comparison, although he's not Nick Dacos, I don't think he's going to, I think he's got potential in even in that system to be the guy that just elevates. Um, yeah, don't underestimate what a full preseason in that system and him learning it again is going to do for not only his body, but his confidence as well. So I'm looking at it. Worst thing, yeah, everyone's going to have a look at it round zero anyway. And if he comes out and does what we think he's going to do in a tough matchup against Brisbane, I think he'll be a lot high, lot more highly owned than what he is now. But, yeah, I think we are kind of overplaying the buys a little bit. Yes, it's best 18 for four of the first six rounds, but it's still a 24-round season and it's a, a marathon, not a sprint. Agree. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to the forwards, mainly because I think the rucks have been done to death a little bit. We've spoken about it a lot on PodPod and even some of the other interviews that we've, we've done. It's, yeah, I, th- I think we'll just park that for now and we'll wait to see. I think the interesting conversation will, with the rucks will be if we don't have a playing R3, can you start Grundy and Gorm? But until we know that, I think it, we'll just park that for now. Let's have a look at the forwards. What are you thinking at the moment with the forwards if you're looking at your structure with you know paying up in defence and paying up in the midfield. Where are you lining up with the forwards? I'll be honest with you. It changed today. That that comment by Dimmer um, that I think everyone's probably seen by now. Um, look, it does change things for me. Um, I was I up until today I had a very very cheap forward line like to the point where I I think I might like I don't think I had anyone over five hundred k and so. And I didn't feel comfortable with it, even though, you know, I, I still think a lot of them were good picks. But, you know, we've got at the moment, I think everyone's got Harley Reid at D6. I'm waiting to see what happens with Alex Sexton in this half-back role, if that if that's legit, and it seems to be. Um, at 382K, that's, that's I can't pass that up. I think Nat Fife in a full-time mid-role, I think, um, again, I... I don't think he's a natural scorer, but you look at um, what he did, and granted it was a, a couple of years ago when he was getting 70 80% CBAs, um, he can he can score okay, and we don't need him to do 98 anymore. So even if he can come out and give us 77, something like that, I'll take that in a heartbeat. And so um, I'll, I'll probably be, be starting with him. And then you've got someone like, Zach Fisher, who I'm still pretty hot on. I think he's apparently coming out and playing in their their practice game next. So his hamstring can't be that bad. It's only been a couple of weeks. I am nervous that he's had a couple of hammy um, sort of scares in a short period of time. And this was after reportedly coming into sort of the North Melbourne camp, perhaps not in the best shape. But in that North Melbourne system, I... You know, I, I probably can't pass up those points. So um, he's there as well. Finn um, Finn McRae, I think everyone's kind of hot on. I think for me, it's a question of whether I'm happy to put him on the field or be really conservative and and pay up a little bit on my bench. Some of that might depend on what the other bench options look like. But can we just can we just talk about Finn a little bit because oh. all reports are he's absolutely lighting up the preseason. But I think we've kind of got this little bit of groupthink echo chamber with Finn and we're all just kind of locking him in. But let's just be a little bit realistic here. He's trying to break into a premiership side that hasn't got any injuries at the moment. Not that I can really know of of their best 22. They've got Lockie Schultz coming in, who's replacing Taylor Adams. But 
what's to say that Finn's not in one week, out the other week, or whether he's, you know, the sub, then he's out of it, then he's getting subbed. Like, I don't think he's the smash pick that we, you know, are all expecting him to be. Yeah, I think it's a fair question. And for me at the moment, he's on my bench for that reason. And I think he's, you know, even a sub risk as well. And it's just, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's kind of easy to put him at D5 or or even D4 if you've got Sexton there as well. And, you, you know, you've saved a lot of money on in your forward line. But as you said, next thing you know, he's not in the side or whatever. And you, you, you don't have a lot of options to go to from that point. And so I'd probably, at this point, he's, he's parked on my bench just because, again, if I lose a little bit of confidence in him, I can easily trade him for another rookie, no problem. Um, but, yeah, I think you, you sort of raise the, the right questions. To be honest, I think I think um, round zero is going to sort of answer a lot yeah, of questions. It's a, cheat code. it's a cheat code, isn't it? But It is, yeah. You know, just because he's picked in round zero and picked in round one doesn't mean he'll be there in rounds two, three, four. It's... I mean, let's be honest, John Noble couldn't crack into that side late last year. And, and he's a very, very good footballer. And you've got Lockie Schultz come in. Yeah, it's, I, just, it's I don't true. know. Jack Bytel as an SPP, like I don't think he's going to play either, but that's just another you know, added pressure in the midfield. I think he's right on the cusp. I think, I think and, and look, it's going to come down to his own performance, whether there's a couple of injuries. But look, the reality is anyone priced at 300K or less is on the cusp. And so... Um, but I think your point is well made that, like, if you're going to put him on field, don't assume it's without sort of risk at all. Yeah. Um, and I think those other sort of round zero guys that I'll be watching, obviously, James Jordan, um, Taylor Adams. And as I said, I, I didn't have Flanders up until today. I was very happy kind of just saying, let's see what he's like in that dimmer game style. Let's, you know, we, we've got a couple of games, you know, and then he's by. And then if you, if he really looks great, then, then, you know, pick him up after the buy. But I think now I'm just like, you know what, bugger it. And I think it was DT Lemon on your, you know, on a recent episode with you, his comment, I remember it well, was like Flanders is not one we should overthink. And I, I think it's now pretty clear that's probably going to be the case. Um, it's all well and good to say, look, I'm just going to pick him up after the buy after I've had a good look and that's fine. But as you sort of pointed out earlier, you get a couple of extra bullets here and there and, you know, you can't then just go and get a Flanders when you choose to get him. Or on top of that, what if at the same time Walsh looks amazing and you want to get him or Took Miller looks amazing and you want to get him or a or a Will Powell has broken out and you're like, shit, I need to get him in my defense. Like, you, you're not going to be able to pick up all these guys at the exact point in time that you wish to. So you might need to sort of consider biting the bullet and starting one or two of them that you actually really like for the season. And for me, that's probably going to be Flanders as my as my F1. Yep, no, I agree with that. Your, your Zach Fisher comments intrigue me a little bit. I'm, I'm not looking to go there anymore, to be honest, after the hammies, but I don't think you could be look at starting, looking at starting a Sheasel and then, you know, you've got McKercher as well and then also a Zach Fisher. I think those roles kind of contradict each other. I think you'd really be banking on Sheasel going into the midfield to open up a lot more ball in defense. You yep. know, Bailey Scott's no like Bailey Scott's proven he scored well last year, but he's he's a very important part of that system. Luke McDonald has showed in the past as well that he doesn't mind getting the ball with a little bit of extra responsibility as well. So, you know, although there's going to be a lot of ball back there, I'm not sure I see Zach Fisher going, you know, 85, 90, which which we would need him to, and added with the hamstring risk, I'm just not sure I could go there anymore. It's a fair point. And the coach the other day, um, when he was talking about Sheasel staying in defence, and he was pretty clear about it, it, it wasn't any sort of ambiguity in terms of what's going to happen. He was like, no, nah, he's staying in defence to, you know, to start the year, were, were, were basically his words. But he also said um, he listed off Sheasel, McKercher, um, Luke McDonald, and, and I, I, I can't remember if you mess, uh, mentioned Scott as well, but he specifically said but we also need to be able to defend. And um, he specifically said, like, we're not going to probably be able to start all of them. And so it's probably a fair question about if Fisher's even definitely best 22. Like, he may not be. Um, yeah, well, just just on that, I don't know if you've listened to Selby's latest podcast, but, you know, we don't listen to Xavier very much when he talks about what a player can score, but he, with his fantasy knowledge, and he basically came out and said he would have thought Fisher's probably not best 22 and would need to start in the Magoos. Interesting. Yeah. So I, 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 if Sheasel's in defense, like that might be the sort of 
that might be their backup plan. Well, their plan for when Sheasel moves up the ground, we'll move Sheasel up the ground, and then we'll shuffle Fisher back there to replace, like maybe something like that. I don't know, but I, I agree with. I I can't see them starting all of it. But look, he's he's in my team at the moment. I I because again, I, if he's playing in that role, I think he's going to score well. Um, the question is, you know, if he's if he's going to play there. But I think um, you've certainly ra- raised some doubt there as well. So I might have to to reassess that position. But look at his, there's a lot of guys like at around that price. Connor McDonald is, you know, apparently did really well in that intra club the other day with Dylan Moore now injured. We're probably going to start to, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more of those sort of transition points on offer. Someone like Connor McDonald with his sort of work rate, I think is going to be able to benefit a lot from that. So he's someone I wasn't that hot on before. I was just like, what's really changed other than a bit of, natural progression from last year. I wasn't really sure what's going to change, but I think someone like Dylan Moore um, getting injured, I think that probably opens up a little bit more usage for, for Connor McDonald. I don't think he's necessarily going to get the inside mid-time that people seem to be um, predicting though. And uh, I know you said this in confidence to me in, in our DM, <laughs> so what about a James Harms? I like him. I do like him. And like, you know, I, I think you were talking about him with someone else the other day, but I'm, I, I think that article that you alluded to when, you know, you spoke speaking about it with JD, I, I think that's telling. Like, Harms came out and he was like, I wasn't enjoying my footy. I had these mental health struggles. I've come to a team. I know what the role is. Um, I don't think he's going to be playing full-time inside mid, but... A, it, look, even a little bit of sort of inside midtime at the Dogs, they're like one of the highest stoppage teams in the comp. And so, like, he, you know, I would rather have some inside midtime at the Western Bulldogs than, you know, a little bit like a fair bit more at someone like Essendon where they've got – they don't have any stoppages, right? And so I, I think you've got to factor that in. And he seems to be enjoying his footy a bit. He's someone that has scored well in the past and obviously then sort of – started getting these sort of defensive duties um, um, at, at the D's. Now, it's possible that, you know, the doggies use him in that sort of sort of role as well. I don't know if they will. I don't think they've typically done that sort of thing, but they, they may. But um, I don't know. I kind of, and I think I said this to you, I liken him to the, the Jaden Hunt pick from last year where it's like I don't think he's going to generate as much cash or be you know, such a good pick that, that Hunt was. But it's similar in that they had, change teams everyone seems to have forgotten about them they haven't been on the fantasy radar for years and so they've just kind of we've just forgotten about them and now they've moved into a new team potentially into a a better role um and it's probably it's it's fair to ask is you know could he be a better pick than you know a Rochelle was was pretty popular I think he's priced around that mark I mean you've got a few guys around that mark you've obviously got Rochelle Connor McDonald Liam Baker's another one who's apparently you know, also getting a little bit of midfield time. He came out and said, I want, um, I'm going to be, I've been training mid- midfield all year and I'm hopefully that sticks throughout the year. I, I think it was a little bit of a, a dig to say I'm sick of being shuffled around as the Mr. Fix-It. I still think he'll be used sort of as a, a, a sort of, you know, flexible sort of guy. But again, there's a few guys, but no, Harms is definitely on my short list. Yeah, look, it's, He's on mine too, and I want to see it. I want to see what his role is in the preseason, obviously. But in the intra club game uh, last week, you had Bont, Trelaw, and Libba as the main midfield. And then in the other side, you had Harms, Sanders, and one other bloke. So, what that tells me is that Harms and Sanders are potentially fighting for that M4, M5 position. And if he's M4 and he's able to get 40% CBAs in that system, You've got a bloke that's averaged in the 80s twice before and he's even averaged, I think, 94 as well. So he's got proven scoring, new role at a new club. They've given him, given him three years. They clearly see something in him and have a role for him. Yeah, it's not going to be full-time inside mid, but I struggle to to really understand why there's been so much hype around a Conor McDonald, a Josh Rochelle, all of these players at 70s who you're, you're banking on, you know, I get it. It's the natural progression. We all want to be the guys that, you know, nail the breakout, but... We've got a guy here that's got proven scoring and he's going into a system that has been scoring as good as any other system for years now. So I am definitely not sleeping on James Harms at the moment. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Are there any other players around that price point you're considering before we kind of wrap this up? No, I just mentioned, obviously, um, 
who was it? Uh, no, not around that price point. I mean, obviously, there's, we've got Billings there again that we're going to be able to watch. He's a little bit cheaper. I mean, the other good thing about that harms price point is like we've got so many like, – like it's not like where there's like going to be six forwards that are all averaging 95 and 100. And so if he fails – like you're going to have some parachute options. There's going to be someone that emerges, even if it's those other names that you mentioned that do happen to be the the breakout guy. You're going to be able to sort of um, you know pivot reasonably easily, which again comes back to your earlier point of like we've just got to be careful about starting so many of these sort of um, mid price speculative types um, because that you know they're not all going to do what we want. Yeah, nah, summed it up well, mate. So thank you so much for for jumping on. I know it's been a pretty long pod and it's pretty late over there in, in uh, Melbourne, but uh, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? Yeah, all good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just usually hanging out on on Twitter. You can um, search for me at Fantasy Nut. Um, yeah, I'm just usually just sort of regurgitate some of my thoughts up there, just sort of ask various questions and that sort of stuff. So yeah, come on and engage. Nah, yeah. Keep doing what you're doing, mate. It's really good to to read your threads and, and to see these different opinions because we keep saying it, but there definitely is an echo chamber uh, between the content creators on Twitter. So it's definitely good to see um, a whole bunch of different perspectives and, and you definitely provide that. But thanks again for jumping on and, and we'll definitely chat soon. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Thank you.